0: Well, it's such a good day. Like I don't want to. I don't want to spoil it by talking. But, but, but I'm I'm gonna just a little bit um, because we do have some things to talk about. Uh, First off, um, like I said before, Easter is not over. Easter is not just a day, but did you know it's a season in the life of the church? This is Easter season. Anybody know how long Easter season lasts? 50 days. 50 days. Seven weeks plus the the Easter Sunday. That's 50, if I can do math. It's 50 days long, and it lasts from Easter to another major holiday in the Christian tradition. Does anyone know what holy day happens 50 days after Easter? (laughs) Pentecost. Right. Pentecost, literally, in Greek literally means 50th day. The 50th day. It's the day that the Holy Spirit descended on the church, just like the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters at creation, just like the Holy Spirit was in the waters of baptism for Harper and Presley and Payton, the Holy Spirit descended upon the church, just as Jesus promised on Pentecost. But for now, we're still in Easter, we're still reveling in the resurrection. We're Christ's resurrection, our resurrection, our redemption. And so what better way to, to spend this resurrection season than by talking about the gospel? The gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's my question, right? We talk about the gospel. people, it's in the cultural lexicon. We talk, like, does your pastor preach the gospel? Is that a gospel-centered church? Have you heard the gospel yet, brother? Right, we we talk about the gospel. So here's my question for you. What's the gospel? Like, if I came up to you and I'm like, look, I don't got much time, but I want to know about Jesus, can you uh, tell me the gospel in one sentence? The good news. news. You just translated. (laughs) (laughs) That's what gospel means, right? The good news. I got all day. (laughs) No. So I've always been, it's, it's a tricky thing though, right? Because the gospel is, is huge. It's, how do you fit the gospel in, in one sentence? I mean, it took four of them <laughs> in our Bible to, to, to try to encompass it, plus somebody writing a bunch of letters to help us figure it out. I've always, though, been partial to the way Mark, the gospel of Mark introduces us to the gospel because the definition of, gospel comes, of the gospel comes straight from Jesus straight from Jesus. After Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist, John the Baptist is thrown in jail. And I love this. Jesus says, wait, what, what do you remember, Presley, what your shirt said before you got wet? You go girl, right? I mean, he didn't say that, but he basically said, it's go time. Jesus said, it's go time. Now is the time when, Jesus, when John was thrown in jail. And he began, we read, Jesus began proclaiming the gospel. And this is what he proclaims. Seven words. The kingdom of God has come near. Period. Exclamation point's better, right? Seven words, that's it. That's the gospel according to Jesus. Jesus began proclaiming the gospel, and then he says, the kingdom of God has come come near that's my easy answer so if anyone ever comes up to me hey what's the gospel right you got the sunday school answer god right but if you can get seven words out the kingdom of god has come near the gospel the good news is that the kingdom of god isn't some far off place that we can only dream about but it's right here The kingdom of God washed over Payton and and Presley and Harper today in the water. The kingdom of God came near. So we're going to spend the next six weeks talking about what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes near. And we're going to do that by looking at what I think arguably is probably one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever told. It's from the Gospel of Luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 32 and my bible my bible calls it the parable of the prodigal and his brother but most of us probably know it as the parable parable of the prodigal son right here it is this is what it looks like and today mostly what I'm going to do is read it to you Uh, this is what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes near then Jesus said there was a man who had two sons The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them, and a few days later the young son gathered all he had, and he traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. And he would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here am I, dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father." And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And so treat me like one of your hired hands. So he sent off and he went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. And so he ran and he put his arms around him and he kissed him. And then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on and bring a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is what? Anybody want to sing Amazing Grace? (laughs) And they began to celebrate. Now. His elder brother, his elder son, was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his slaves and asked what was going on. And the slave replied, your brother has come back. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then that older brother, what happened? Was he happy? Oh, he became angry. He refused to go in his father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that, that we have found, been found Lord God, I thank you that we have found you, and that when we came running, you were there with open arms to hold us, to wrap us tight, to remind us that we are yours. So today we pray for that reminder here in this room, that we might all remember the good news that the kingdom of God has come near, and that we are yours. In your holy name we pray, amen. We don't have a lot of time left today, and there's a lot going on in this story. It's a huge story, it's impacted Christians through generations, and that's why we're going to spend the whole Easter season on this story. Six weeks. We're going to be talking about the prodigal son, the older brother, the father, and some others. But today, in the last few minutes, I want to share with you just one picture to get us going, a picture of the kingdom of God that we get in this story. I think it's, it's pretty appropriate for today, and it's pretty significant for us as um, United Methodists, as us for in the mainline tradition of Christianity, going back to the apostles. It has to do with grace. And if you don't know, grace abounds in the kingdom of God. When it comes near, grace is here. I didn't mean to rhyme, but I did. <laughs> you see that in the father, you see grace. Because when the son, younger son, asks for his inheritance, and as, as a parent, you've got to be like, are you just waiting for me to die here? <laughs> right? You're thinking about your inheritance. I'm still alive. <laughs> That's not when inheritance comes. But he, when the younger son asks for his inheritance early, what does the father do? He gives it to him. Now, here's the thing. Had the younger son earned his inheritance? No. Did he deserve to have his inheritance early? No. And let's get practical for a moment. Does it make sense, knowing what we know now about the younger son especially, does it make sense for the father to give his younger son the inheritance now? No. And yet he did. The Father gave, and he gave graciously, unearned, undeserved, and I dare say, in in our perspective, a bit unwisely, he gave. But that's grace, right? That's grace, unearned, undeserved, and from our perspective, unwise. (laughs) And yet it's ours, our inheritance. That's what we celebrate. That's what we celebrate in baptism, that God has poured out his grace upon us all, his unmerited love and favor for all of creation. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate baptism. That's what these three young girls experience today when the waters washed over them, the waters of grace, God's abundant love poured out for us. That's why in in our tradition, we, we baptize infants, we baptize adults, we baptize young people. Why? Because it's all about who? God. It's all about God's grace. It's all about the older, the, the, it's all about the Father giving us an inheritance before we even deserved it, before we could do anything to earn it. It is ours. It's a part of who we are, and so we celebrate that in the waters. We celebrate the moment. It's my favorite. I read it. I think I read it to all y'all, um, in the common English Bible, my favorite translation is from, of this moment is, is, is in, in the Gospel of Mark when Jesus gets baptized, the heavens open up, and God's voice rings out as the Spirit is hovering over the waters like a dove. And we hear and this is my paraphrase of my favorite translation. We hear, You are my child, I love you. You make me happy. That's grace. That's what God was saying when you were in the water. I don't know if y'all heard him. You are my child, Harper. I love you, Presley. Peyton, you make me happy. Right? All of us, no matter what we do, it's undeserved unwarranted it's god's favor upon us and yet even though god's gracious love and favor are given to us all freely given what do we do i mean how many of us have gone about running about wasting that grace for good bits of our lives how many of us have gone about forgetting that we're loved forgetting that we make anyone happy much less ourselves sometimes. How many of us have gone around forgetting we have a Father in heaven who cares about us? Us, that when everyone else abandons us and we're sitting in a pig's, anybody ever been sitting in a pigsty, wondering, what did I do to get in this muck? God still loves us. Even in the muck and the mud and the pig poo, God looks at us and says, you still make me happy even though we waste it. Just like the younger brother, we don't give God's grace the attention it deserves. We don't respond in kind. We ignore God's love. We live for ourselves, reveling in the good we have, what we've inherited, and forgetting that it all comes from the Father, forgetting that it was, paid at for, that it was given at a price, paid by the Son. But the beauty is, by virtue of the fact that we're in this room today, we've had that moment of realization We've had that moment by the grace of God. We've had a revelation. We remembered what God has done for us. We remembered how gracious God is. We remember that we are accepted just like that younger son. When we come running back to God, he's there for us. We remember how gracious God is, even to the least of these, especially to the least of these. God is there with open arms running toward us. And so we've come back home home to the father. Just like the prodigal son, and just like the prodigal son, we've been accepted back graciously, lovingly welcomed home when Peyton and Presley and Harper, when they all acknowledged their decision to follow Christ, when they said, I'm going to renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, my favorite thing in the book of discipline, my book of worship, I'm going to renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness and give myself to Jesus Christ. I'm going to put Christ first in my life. I'm going to respond to the grace of God known through his son and given to us by the spirit. I'm going to live my life in return for that. When we profess our faith in Jesus Christ, we come home like that prodigal son. That's our moment in the muck and mire to have the realization, oh man, it's better for the least of these with the father than it is for me right here. I'm going home. And that's what today is all about. This grace-filled vision of the kingdom of God come near, of the Father with us, loving us, caring for us, of the bat waters of God's unearned grace washing over us. The ways that we come home to God when we profess our faith, and how graciously, graciously, lovingly we're welcomed back. The Father is so overjoyed; he serves up a feast, a fatted calf, a beautiful celebration. Everyone's invited. And that's where this story ends, the celebration. But it's not where our story ends. Because today is a celebration. Today we're bathing in God's grace, yes. Today you have decided to follow Jesus. Today you have acknowledged your inheritance. It's yours, it's in your hand, even if you've wasted it before. Even if you feel like you've spent all the grace God ever had to give you, guess what? Just like that inheritance, it's right there waiting for you when you get back. Waiting for you. That's today. That's what today is about. But guess what? Tomorrow happens. Sometimes, despite our best efforts, tomorrow happens. I try to stay up as late as I can, putting off tomorrow. But eventually, it happens. Sometimes I'm still awake, praying it's not going to be tomorrow, and the clock hits midnight. Oh, no. (laughs) It's tomorrow, and I'm awake. Tomorrow's coming. And now we're holding our inheritance in our hands, grace, love, redemption, eternal life. It's here. It's been waiting for us. But now that we've got it again, now that we've received back our inheritance that we thought we squandered, what are we going to do tomorrow? That's when the real work begins. That's when the life of discipleship begins. Daily making that decision to remain with the Father. The one who made a decision to dwell with us. We don't know what the younger son did the next day. Right? Judging from past experience, he's got it all back. What's to say he didn't just run back out and spend it all again? The story doesn't tell us what happens tomorrow. The story doesn't. But you can. With the ways that you live your life, with the way you respond to God's grace, you've come home. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can stay home. You can abide, remain, dwell, tabernacle with the Father all the days of your life. Amen? Amen. Amen.